Greetings again, everyone, and welcome to another episode of OSI Today, the podcast featuring news and views from around the Office of Special Investigations. I'm Wayne Amon from OSI Public Affairs, and in this edition, we continue our special series, My OSI Journey, which showcases the diversity and inclusion of our command-wide members. And today, I'm very pleased to be joined by Mr. Terry Phillips, Executive Director, Office of Special Projects, and United States Air Force and Space Force Special Access Program Security Director. Mr. Phillips, welcome to the program. It's so good to be talking with you again, sir. Thank you, Wayne. Um, I've enjoyed your podcast, and uh, I'm honored to be able to uh, join you today. Uh, Before we get started, I'd like to say say thanks for doing this and and putting so much energy and professionalism in it so that that you share the voice of many uh, to to everyone. So that's uh, incredible. Thank you for doing this. Well, I appreciate the kind words, Mr. Phillips, uh, uh, and I know that uh, uh, General Bullard, the commander uh, uh, who's... uh, uh, view of of wanting a podcast out there had that kind of uh uh vector in mind when uh, uh we began this initiative so uh you know uh more than two dozen podcasts later here we are and uh, we welcome you aboard so uh uh, I would like to begin, sir, with uh, letting our, our listenership know that we are actually recording this podcast the day before you are to retire from the Office of Special Investigations. And on that note, I have to ask you, sir, uh, is uh, this particular period in your life a little bit uh, bittersweet as uh, you progress in your uh, uh, next chapter in your life? You know, Wayne, um, I've had uh, several days to think about this, and um, 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 I was on the phone with General Bullard just a little while ago, and um, I really feel a sense of contentment and, mm-hmm. and happiness uh, for a couple of reasons. One is I'm, uh, I enjoyed my career and, and the opportunities that I had to, to work with OSI and, and the Air Force, and so I'm very happy when I look back on the, on the time that we had. The, the second reason uh, I have joy is that uh, I see all the people that we've brought on board, and um, I, I know that we've brought some incredible people uh, into OSI, and, I, and I'm excited for what they're going to do. And so it's, it's my time to step away and, and, and move to the stands and, and watch all the great people that we brought on board and we've trained and pre- prepared them go out and be successful. So uh, there's really no bittersweet for me. It's, it's really a, a very great sense of contentment and happiness for, uh, for our family and for the rest of OSI. Well, that's certainly a very positive outlook, and uh, you've certainly uh, made your mark uh, on the uh, Office of Special Investigations. And uh, uh, my next question, we let's kind of uh, turn back the clock a little bit, uh, if we can, shall we? Uh, as far as uh, you beginning to become interested in law enforcement and subsequently OSI, uh, you've had a very eclectic career within the organization beginning in 1997 when you uh, graduated from the uh, Special Investigations Academy at Andrews Air Force Base in Maryland. Uh, but how did you become interested at the, in the, at the get-go uh, in the, uh, the field of law enforcement, and again, in uh, OSI? Well, um, it started way before uh, 1997. Um, and uh, when I entered the Air Force in 1992, um, there, there was a reduction in forces, and there weren't many job opportunities for new second lieutenants to come in. And so um, I became a section commander. And not a lot of people understand or know what a section commander is, but but basically, they're the individual who oversees um, uh, issues, uh, punishments, um, uh, activities for a squadron. Uh-huh. 
And I was assigned to the 93rd Air Refueling Squadron in California. We had a combined uh, 537 people in that unit. And um, it was a maintainers and pilots. So it was all uh, combined together. And I met my first OSI agents when they ran investigations and provided reports of investigations uh, to me and the commander and our first sergeant. And we had to take action on those reports of investigation. And what was very neat was uh, that those agents were able to come in and, and describe those cases. And uh, that sparked my interest. Mm-hmm. Uh, my next door neighbor, uh, Drew Gober, who is um, a brand new civilian agent, retired from OSI a few years ago and, and just recently returned as a civilian agent, was my next door neighbor. Huh. And uh, as neighbors get together and barbecue, uh, he was able to describe a very positive outlook on OSI. And um, so as the years went by and um, uh, I was able to look for a career transition, uh, I applied to OSI. And um, I was able to, uh, he, he doesn't remember this, but Tim Reese, who is the SAC down at McDill, wrote my uh, letter of recommendation for me and ah. um, was able to um, uh, help recruit me and get me into OSI to join. So it was, um, I was an officer uh, then, uh, uh, almost, I was a captain when I came into OSI. Uh-huh. So I was a late, late bloomer coming into OSI. But um, what I, what I think was really special was that I had had time as a section commander. I had worked in a command post at Ramstein Air Base, and I was able to bring those realistic uh, Air Force skills and knowledge of what the Air Force do- does in their big mission to OSI. And I think that was something that was valuable to me throughout my career is to understand uh, from a flying perspective, from a maintenance perspective, from a command post perspective, to be able to apply that to OSI. I see. Yeah, it certainly sounds like uh, your your beginnings within the command uh, uh, networking really helped you out and knowing people within the organization and getting the, 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 the real skinny from people who could really uh, tell you what it's really about. Absolutely. Um, and and I'll say this several times, um, is that uh, this is a people business. Uh, we, we recruit people that can connect and be able to share information and be able to link people to be able to solve hard problems. And, and it's very special, the, the networks that we build with, with, within the Air Force, within the federal law enforcement and with our intelligence community and with, with our foreign partners. It's very special, the network that we build uh, in OSI and getting recruited is is part of that network i see now uh as you progressed uh within the command uh you were elevated uh, uh to your uh present position of uh, uh senior executive service one uh you were the first one at that rank to make that uh, uh, rank, the first executive director of PJ as special projects is also called within the OSI community to hold the rank of SES one. Now I did a story on you uh, back in uh, around August of 2020 uh, when you were appointed uh, to that position. And uh, now for the un- uninformed SES is a position classification in the civil service of the federal government equivalent uh, to a general officer or a flag officer rank in the U.S. Armed Forces. Now, you were asked about, at the time, your reaction to the news of being elevated to the SES as the executive director, and the first word out of your mouth, sir, was pride. 
the one word pride, and you said you were proud that this appointment elevates all of OSI and recognizes the value of our technology protection mission. And I would assume that uh, since the time you were appointed, uh, that pride has not waned one bit. Uh, Wayne, it's um, my pride has grown uh, 25-fold. Um, <laughs> ab- it's absolutely uh, amazing um, to, to see the mission that we do in OSI. Um, and, and for me, getting to be involved with our special projects mission every day is just, it's just very special to be, a, be able to see that accomplished in the field at the very edge of our Air Force operations. It's, it's amazing. The, um, what, what's also amazing is the, the respect um, and the um, expectation from our, from our foreign partners, our federal partners, our intelligence community partners, who uh, consider us a, a valued member of their team to be able to bring effects onto the, the big concerns that face our, the Air Force, the threats that face the Air Force. So super proud of um, being able to um, serve in this capacity and being able to represent uh, OSI uh, across the Department of Defense as an SES. So. During your career within the Office of Special Investigations, were there any challenges that you faced uh, once you became a member of the command? And, and how did you overcome those? Or, or uh, have, have things been uh, smooth sailing all the way? Oh, I don't think um, anyone has a, uh, a smooth past, path to success. I believe um, um, many of us um, are challenged and, and fight and work hard. Um, as a young captain, I... Um, I, I served at Ramstein as, a, as an agent, and, and that was an incredible place for me to be able to learn our skills and our tradecraft. Um, Ramstein uh, had a large number of crim cases, counterintelligence cases, and, uh, and fraud cases. So it was good for me to be able to learn all of those areas about OSI. Uh, I was asked to be a DETCO, um, a, a special agent in charge. I was a captain, and I had little less than 18 months of time as an agent. Mm-hmm. And that was hard. Um, I was just learning how to be a, a credible, credible, good, solid agent. And now I was asked to be put in charge. Right. And right. when I when I showed up at the detachment, I was uh, probably the most junior person there at Pope Air Force Base. <laughs> okay. And um, I wasn't received very well um, about um, you know being a very junior agent in charge of other agents. Uh, but I got some great advice uh, that just said, plow hard, work hard, you know, uh, be stable and, and you will win the day. I and see. so I put I put put my nose to the grindstone and worked hard and, and worked as hard as everyone. Um, when there was a, a case, I went out and conducted surveillance. I provided support. I would be the assistant on interviews. I worked really, really hard um, and um, and won over my team. That leads me very well into the next question, sir. Uh, who or what inspired you to do your best in OSI? I've asked that question of uh, many of my interview guests, and they say it was, you know, great leadership, great mentorship that uh, uh, helped you along the way. Well, I, I have a couple of answers. One, though, I think it might be more interesting um, um, is when I was at Ramstein um, as a young agent, um, I was introduced to Mr. Jude Sunderbrook. And, ah. uh, and, and Mr. Sunderbrook was, uh, I think, a first lieutenant at that time. Right. And I remember being in Germany. He was at Simbach and I was at Ramstein. And in our little group of young officer uh, agents, we were talking and, and uh, Mr. Sunderbrook and I hit it off really well. Mm-hmm. And um, uh, and then the other 
uh, a little bit after that, we had a new individual arrive, a uh, GS 13, Mr. Jeff Speck. Yes. Mr. Yes. Speck was on his uh, second assignment, just arrived from Eglin Air Force Base. And um, he was assigned at that 515, which is, uh, Ram, was Ramstein. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I got to know him. Now, Mr. Speck had had a couple more years experience more than me and Mr. Sunderbrook. And we all worked together. And we, I think we inspired each other to work uh-huh. hard and, and to be able to, to be successful and, and help the units be successful and, and the OSI mission in Europe successful. And so I, I, and, and through my career, Mr. Speck and Mr. Sunderbrook, has always been collegial um, uh, in uh, colleagues that we've been able to talk about things that we would want to do and and how we saw life and be able to work together. So from a peer level, they were they were have been the greatest friends and also the greatest uh, colleagues to be able to help me during my career. A little bit of backstory on that. Of course, uh, Mr. Speck is the former executive director of OSI, and Mr. Sunderbrook is the current executive director of OSI. So, uh, uh, like I said, uh, uh, you're absolutely right. Uh, leadership uh, uh, has been, really been uh, uh, kind of a, a hallmark uh, during your uh, OSI career, no doubt about that. Uh, what was the most gratifying? Wayne, oh, if I can ahead. add one sure, little sure. thing. Um, sure, go ahead. Um, Seniors, uh, uh, Doug Thomas, uh, General Givens, General Jacobson, Jeff Harker, have all played very important parts in, in making me uh, want to do better. Mm-hmm. And, uh, uh, for example, General Givens, our former OSI commander, he was the exec for General Taylor, who was visiting my detachment at Pope Air Force Base. And, and on his own, he picked up the phone and called me and said, hey, Terry, I understand you're a new DECO. Um, uh, would you like me to look at your briefing that you're going to give General Taylor and, and, and kind of give you some pointers? Wow. Well, uh, I sent it to him and, and within a couple hours, he sent it back with a lot of edits and gave me a, about a 20 minute uh, pep talk. And, um, and I did great. And it uh-huh. was uh, my first meeting General Taylor. And, but, but those kind of moments where someone goes out of their way to, to help you be successful, that's truly special. And, sure. and, and the more that we do that, the more that we take care of each other, our command and our culture will flourish. Oh, no doubt about that. And, of course, uh, for the uh, novice listeners to our podcast, General Taylor was the 13th commander of the Office of Special Investigations. Uh, Mr. Phillips, what uh, was the most gratifying part of your job with OSI? Or did you already allude to that? Because it sounds like you mentioned people was a, a, a real staple of, of, of your career within the organization. Well, um, I think the most gratifying thing um, that, that, I, that I've seen for myself, but also I've seen from others, is to be able to contribute in a way that advances the Air Force. Mm-hmm. And, um, and the, the closest thing that I would say is I remember uh, one time uh, there was an analytical product that was provided to me when I was at UCOM, uh, U.S. European Command. Right. And I picked up the phone and I called that analyst back at the icon. I go, that was incredible. I just briefed your information to a four-star general who is the NATO commander and the commander of U.S. European Command. Yep. And that analyst was so excited that someone had read their report and actually had, uh, you know, used that report to be able to inform a commander. I yeah. just got to see see in their voice about how excited they were and when I told their boss. But it makes me know that that, when that whenever I'm able to go and bring some information to a commander to help them make a very important decision, that's extremely gratifying. Oh, so I've no, been able to no use doubt. that yeah. is, to, is to provide feedback to people over the years of picking up the phone or sending them a little note and said, 
hey, I just used this to brief the Secretary of the Air Force. And uh, I believe that inspires people because it that definitely inspires me. Oh yeah, the, when when people's work is uh, uh, when they, when they have their work validated by higher ups, there's no doubt about it that the, uh, they they uh, they really feel it that, that they're doing uh, uh, something that's very important uh, for the Air Force and for the nation. Uh, if you could do it all over again, if you could put on uh, you know your 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 hat here as far as looking back again over your career, is there anything you would change about your career with OSI? Wayne, I, um, uh, someone asked me that recently, and um, I, I just have such great joy. I look back on every assignment and see how it played a role in the person that I am today. Uh-huh. And um, I don't think that I could actually um, go back and change any, any one of those assignments, uh, the assignments overseas, the assignments at Pope Air Force Base. In my, in my last five years here as the OSI PJ director, I've seen that that I've brought something from each of my assignments back into the job. So th- there's really nothing that I would change, uh, ex- except maybe add a little bit more time uh, at some of those jobs. Like right. um, at, at Ramstein, I really only got to be an agent there for a little less than 18 months. And um, I wish I could have ran a few more cases and, and got to do a little bit more work. Um, I, I really enjoyed my tour at headquarters. Um, um, I was on the NIT as a specialty team. It was a, it was a short uh, two-year uh, tour. Uh-huh. But uh, if I could do anything, what I'd change is I would have added more time to each one of the assignments. That's right. Unfortunately, we can't turn back the clock, but uh, uh, it certainly, uh, it certainly uh, shows that uh, you've, uh, in the time that you were allotted there, you've, uh, you certainly made, uh, made an impression. Uh, let's put on your, your uh, forecasting hat here for a little bit, if we may. What direction do you envision OSI going into the future? OSI's mission is extremely relative to our Air Force and our Space Force. Uh, What I see um, uh, is that our agents will be more empowered by um, artificial intelligence, uh, by machine learning, uh, to be able to give them information to to proactively engage engage threats at a a very early time. Um, uh, What Mr. Sunderbrook is doing with uh, the Orion Network, uh, I, I foresee that our agents in the future will be able to have information at their fingertips for them to be able to um, resolve issues or concerns quickly and be able to give commanders uh, relative information in a very quick time. Um, I, I see us moving away from um, long written reports and being able to provide verbal or even video information to commanders to allow them to be able to make decisions quickly to be able to affect the air force so um everything is accelerating um and um uh, what i I, i'd be able to what i think that our agents in the future would be able to take advantage of a lot of the uh, quantum computing that that we're gaining and to be able to use that and to advance the air force mission by providing commanders information that they can get at their fingertips Right. Well, the Air Force has always been considered, uh, you know, a high tech uh, branch of the military. And I'm sure that, uh, as you just said, uh, things are going to be accelerating with uh, technology in the future. No doubt about that. Thank you. I I agree. Totally agree, Wayne. Now, uh, the the premise of this particular podcast of uh, my OSI journey is about diversity and inclusion uh, of our uh, command wide members. How 
is is DNI foundational to the success of OSI from your perspective uh, now that you're about to uh, end your OSI career? Well, I, I wish we had thought about this uh, even earlier, but diversity and inclusion is so powerful. And I think we haven't even really uncovered the advantages of, of having a more diverse group and being inclusive of uh, different voices and different perspectives. Um, mm-hmm. I believe diversity and, and inclusion um, uh, enhances our innovation. When right. we can listen to other voices that can uh, allow us to understand different perspectives, we can solve problems faster, but not just faster in a higher quality manner. I, um, I know if you, if you only heard one perspective uh, every day, then, then you're not going to be able to think of the uh, creative types of solutions that, that we can have. And in OSI PJ, I see that a lot is that we're often presented very tough challenges with security inhibiting the advancement of rapid acquisition. Uh-huh. And so we look for solutions to be able to try to, uh, to be able to uh, change the security paradigm to be able to allow our industry partners to be able to build something faster uh, at lower cost with higher performance without, without compromising the system. I see. And, and it's pretty neat when you can uh, include all voices to kind of solve that problem, all grades, all, all individuals to be able to solve it. So, so I see diversity and inclusion making us better, allowing yeah. us to be more creative and be more innovative. Secondly, and, and as, a, as a kind of a, a person who's, I'm a math person, a math guy, I, I think about the value of diversity um, is that it, that it makes us um, more productive, uh, increases performance uh, for a couple of reasons. One is when you have an inclusive program uh, with, with, with diverse people um, and, you, and, and you demonstrate that you're able to listen and, and hear the voices of others and perspective of, of others mm-hmm. to be able to factor that into the calculus of how you solve problems, people start to trust more. They share more. Right. And, and when you have a high trust um, team and you build high trust relationships with each other, the speed of innovation and productivity is an extreme high value. So to me, uh, uh, as a math guy, I, I, I see that ratio of, of high production, high value by having a, a high trust team. And, and lastly, um, uh, in, 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 I, I want to brag a little bit. OSIPJ uh, won the OSI Team Award. A couple of our members won the Diversity and Inclusion Team Award. Right. And, right. Um, that, and, and what we talked about in PJ during our videos um, in discussion about diversity and inclusion is just being able to hear someone's voice, to be able to talk to them and ask questions and, and be able to share experiences with each other. And I'll tell you, there, there's been uh, some incredible sharing um, amongst our folks, and, and we've all grown over this past year. Mm-hmm. And so, um, and that creates a, a very dynamic, accepting work environment that, that allows us to be happier, to, to enjoy our workplace better. And and, and all of that together makes us more productive. So, so personally, I love the creativity and innovation because I love that. But I also love the value that comes out of, uh, of the value of productivity that comes out of having an inclusive and diverse environment. Yes, sir. Now, uh, you mentioned uh, your math degree. Uh, let's give a shout out to uh, Auburn University, home of the War Eagles, correct? Absolutely. War Eagle. 
And uh, I can't tell you how many times I've had to hear roll tide or go dogs or Wayne. No, no one can echo that in this room on this podcast. So, uh, so, so war Eagle. Okay. Very good. Uh, Let's put a a little bit of a recruiting hat on you now, sir, for for a second. What advice would you give someone who would like to join OSI? Well, um, patience like we talked about uh you know but uh, i wanted to join osi in 1993 94 and it took a few years to get there um uh, osi is a is a uh, has so few slots per year that open up and so what what i've spoken to people who applied three times and they got in on the third time so the Uh first thing i would say is be patient um the second thing i would say is um grow and make yourself highly valuable to the organization. And the way you can do that is through some skills that you already have um, or that you're interested in. We're talking about language, we're cyber skills, uh-huh. um, uh, being able to, to understand forensics, those kind of things that, that, that make you stand above the others when they look at your resume. The, um, sure. I talk to a lot of college kids now and I recommend the internships. Um, it, it's great to get that um, uh, high GPA. Uh, couple that with some great internships that show your interest in law enforcement, but also show that that you've been exposed to some of the uh, areas of law enforcement that allow us to know that you have an understanding and that, that you would be a good fit for our organization. Uh-huh. And, and lastly, um, I would say is network. Like we talked about in the beginning is find an OSI agent, uh, get on their schedule, make an appointment and talk to them and uh, ask them, um, you know, what, what can I do? Um, wh- what areas do you see as strong points? Where are some areas that I can, I can add to, to make me a better candidate, but just keep trying, talk, and then focus on those areas that make you stand out above others that are applying. Right. Good, good words to the wise. No doubt about that, sir. Uh, now, at the top of the, the uh, broadcast, we mentioned that uh, this is the eve of your uh, retirement from OSI. And in your farewell email earlier today to the PJ team, uh, you said something very interesting. And I was hoping you can maybe elaborate on that just a bit. You said, quote, we define the art of the possible. What exactly did you mean by that, sir? It would great. I'm, I'm glad you picked up on that is um, a, a security organization um, is, is known for saying to known to say no. Uh-huh. And, um, I, and I've been in, in PJ uh, uh, back. I joined PJ back in 2001 uh, for a short stint. And it, it was, it's very, very easy to say no um, to industry, to government, to, uh, to a pilot who's flying. Um, the, the art of the possible is not to just say, not to say no, but to say, you can do it if we add these, add this, adds this mitigation. Uh-huh. Can we, can we build a classified airplane and, in a hangar? Mm-hmm. Uh, the, the answer is it doesn't have sound attenuation. It, it doesn't, um, it, exp- there's some exposure. Uh, there may be some emissions about this. Um, How do we protect all the entry points? Well, uh, so it's easy to just say, no, you can't build it in a hangar. Well, where are you going to build? Where are you going to build an airplane? So you have to say, yes, is you can do that. But we need to uh, add some blinds on the windows. We need to add some insulation for sound attenuation. 
that is the art of the possible. Now, and then that, and then it becomes a discussion. So the art of the possible is a discussion that, that tells you what, how to get to yes. And in PJ, we're known for that. Um, uh, We're, we're the security organization that is known for doing that. We understand the risk. We understand uh, the threats and we understand uh, what the air force has for funding and availability and time to be able to develop a platform. And then we enter a risk discussion with the program executive officer or the program manager on how to get to yes. And so that is the art of the possible. Very well put. Uh, Before we wrap it up, uh, Mr. Phillips, is there anything else you'd like to add? I'd like to say to to everyone, this is an, an incredible organization and the value of our organization is really our people and our culture. And and, and continue to grow that culture, continue to share uh, with others things that you've learned. That is the power of, of OSI and what we do. And uh, the more that we do that, the more our mission will be successful. So keep growing, maintain the culture that we have, and, and keep doing great things for our nation. Well said, Mr. Phillips. Our guest has been Mr. Terry Phillips, Executive Director, Office of Special Projects and United States Air Force and Space Force Special Access Program Security Director. Mr. Phillips, thanks so much again for taking the time to be with us. I really enjoyed our discussion today. Thanks, Wayne. Have a great 2022. Happy New Year, and I wish you the greatest success next year. And the same to you and uh, your uh, post-OSI career as well. And thanks to all of you listening for tuning in. For OSI Today, my OSI journey, I'm Wayne Amon saying so long for now.